0: It was 9.55. The park was closing in five minutes, and I hadn't ridden a single ride all night. I had a stick of cotton candy in my left hand, and a big stuffed bear under my right arm, and had to work in the morning, and I'd spent the past three hours sitting mostly in silence on a bench next to my girlfriend Sarah. The few people who were still around were all heading towards the exit while I walked half running in the direction of the moonshot. An indoor roller coaster. None of the other guests spoke in much above a whisper, so that their footsteps on the concrete were often louder than their voices. The moonshot was not much to look at on the outside in its big, black, corrugated metal box, which towered stealthily through the treetops over everything else in the park. The structure was not, upon closer inspection, actually all that big. It seemed almost a bit small to contain a roller coaster, actually. But something in the starkness of its paint job gave it a gravity in the landscape far out of proportion with its true dimensions it was darker than the night sky around it blotting out the stars like a blank space in the universe there was nobody in line outside under the dingy greenish lamp so i went straight through checking my watch nine fifty-eight. there was one man in line inside wearing a black sweat-stained t-shirt a few strands of gray hair visible in his ponytail. He glanced back when I entered, but said nothing. Music was still playing in the PA speaker. The bear crunched under my arm. I had expected that it would be filled with stuffing or something similar, but in fact it seemed packed with styrofoam peanuts. We stood there for what felt like a significant amount of time, not talking. Outside we could hear the sounds of other rides shutting down for the night. A dusty glass box stood dimly illuminated beneath a hand-painted sign. Can you survive, Cerberus? A simple line illustration below illustrated a triple loop-de-loop, and the glass box held broken old cell phones, wallets, coins, necklaces, a notebook, faded old packs of gum, a few pens, and a comb. With a hydraulic hiss, the gate opened. The man with the ponytail hesitated, glanced back at me. I indicated that I was going to ride, and so he moved forward as well. I felt a man enter the line behind me as we shuffled through, glimpsed, I am almost sure, his shadow on the ground beside mine. The window for the ride operator's booth was tinted in opaque black. Each of us took a seat, the ponytail a few rows behind myself. I buckled myself in. The buckle didn't click, but I also could not pull it out try sliding it in a different way, and so it was stuck firm and I was buckled in properly, I assumed. I buckled in the bear beside me. His buckle did click, but the buckles were of a completely different make than mine, like maybe one of them was a replacement part. The man who had entered behind me took a seat in the front car. I never got to see his face. We sat there for a few minutes. There were a lot of dead flies on the floor of my car, I noticed. Twenty thirty, I couldn't see the floors of any of the other cars to know if this was abnormal. The microphone inside the operator's booth was open, and the silence within the booth was being broadcast through static over the PA. Sometimes I thought I heard something like breathing on the other end. A pre-recorded woman's voice then. Please, raise your arms above your head. A friendly face will be by momentarily to check your safety restraint. I watched the operator's booth, and the door set discreetly into the corrugated black metal marked, Friendly Faces Only. Neither opened. A few more minutes passed. Then, with a mechanical thud, we were set into motion. We passed through the doorway into the ride, and into total blackness. Our momentum carried us around the first turn, and then the front car caught the chain, and we began, in steady, lurching movements, to be pulled upwards. The man behind me said, not particularly to himself and not particularly towards anyone else either, all right, chunk chunking at a solid 45 degree angle for what felt like a bit longer than should have been possible given the height of the roof and then a bit longer still. But we eventually did crest and then there was the false drop and the hesitation before the big drop. Maybe we'd just been moving slower than I imagined. The ponytail let out a tiny involuntary squeak of anticipation, like steam from a kettle. Then we fell. The roaring of the wheels on track, meadow echoing on metal, thundering in my ears until my head hurt, though perhaps that was from the shaking of the car itself and the chattering of my teeth. The wheels jumped about in kind, and it felt at one point, for just a fraction of a moment, like we were off the track entirely. The wind rushed past, pounding my head, tenderizing my face. Again, we went for longer than it felt like the structure ought to be able to contain, even if only by a second or two, like we'd gone down farther than we'd gone up, like the car was rumbling at too violent a speed to expect to turn out of a dive and miss the earth. But the turn was made. And we were whipped through a series of sudden and sharp turns and rolls, the chuttering of our wheels swirling disoriented around us from all directions and none, and when we made our first twist I lost any notion of what was up or what was down. I was completely at the mercy of this thing, my head snapping this way and then that. It was hard to imagine such power could have been mustered on a track confined to such a claustrophobic space. Around another bend I caught the strobe of a camera flash right in the face, and was blinded. From one moment to the next, the world flipped black to white. I think some sort of noise escaped my throat in that moment. I had no control. I received the images then, afterward, like negatives scorched into my retinas. A tangled web of coaster tracks, looping through and around itself, twisting back and in on itself, with hardly, it seemed, much airspace at all that wasn't occupied either by some track or some spindly support leg. And then there was the man in the front car, who, in each of the images that flashed across my eyes, was turned, looking back at me, his features completely washed out, except for a hint of piercing blue eyes and a wide, wide grin. The afterglow faded into ghosts, flitting about in the darkness. All of a sudden, we were flung up and back, upside down, on a loop-de-loop. Ha! said the ponytail. We rolled back to upright position and geared up for another. I felt the seatbelt take my weight and go taut as we hit the apex of the loop, hung there for the briefest of moments before rolling forward. Wind rushed through my hair, and we were thrust upward into a third loop-de-loop. We swung through once more to the top of the top, and then... We stopped. There was a mechanical clicking as of something locking into place, and then a big decompression of air, the mechanics of the ride powering down. Soon, all was silent. The seatbelt groaned under me, cutting into my waist. A minute or two passed, and the ponytail said, I, uh, hmm. The man in the front car said nothing, but I could feel his presence. A few minutes more passed with no change. Looking around now, I noticed, for the first time, the moon. A glow-in-the-dark decoration hung up in the corner of the building. I don't believe it had been there before. All I had seen in any direction till now was pure blackness. But I had no way to say for sure that I hadn't simply overlooked it. Are we stuck? said the ponytail under his breath. I began to speak, but my voice failed. I cleared my throat. We might be. Silence. Then, screaming. Help! Help! Please! Somebody help! We're in here! We're stuck on the ride! It was a horrible thing to listen to. The desperation tearing at his vocal cords hit my limbic system like ice water. He pounded on the handrail. Help! He stopped using words then, reduced to blubbering and squealing, grunting and growling, then thrashing himself around in his seat within the constraints of his safety restraint, shaking the entire train a bit on the tracks. When he tired himself out, he started to cry softly. A long time passed in cold silence, and then I began to hear, as soft as a thing could possibly be heard, from outside the walls, in some far-off other part of the park. Music. It must have been after midnight, and the merry-go-round was up and running. I looked up at the moon and saw that it had been cut in half, only to realize that there was now a support leg between me and the decoration. Maybe my head was tilted at a different angle than it had been the first time I'd seen it. I was beginning to feel a bit woozy and lightheaded, in fact, and was beginning to see, I think, things moving in the dark at the corners of my vision, I think because my eyes were beginning to adjust. The seatbelt creaked and groaned, digging even harder into my waist. I let my arms dangle for a while down in the abyss. It was terribly cold, I noticed, as if the night air had been seeping in and a pungent earthy smell along with it, like freshly turned soil. My fingers began to tingle, and I lifted my arms, shook life into them. A great metallic crash came from some far corner of the building. And there were now two moons in the corner, craters ringed with drips of watery green glow-in-the-dark paint, the only thing in a universe of nothing. Behind me, the ponytail began a whispered prayer, mumbling his way through the lines that he did not know. The man in the front car remained silent. Hello? said the ponytail, his voice floating in from the ether, somewhere behind me. Aren't you going to say something? I waited a long time to respond and realized I was holding my own breath for fear of making any noise for having any presence at all outside of my own mind as we all floated there in the absolute blackness. What do you want me to say? My throat was dry. Something, anything. We're in this together. Yeah, well, some of us have to work in the morning. I didn't say anything for a long time after that. He began to sing, row, row, row your boat at a level just below a shout. By the time he'd finished, his own echoes had begun to loop back and around. We have to get out of here. Worst case scenario, I said, looking straight ahead. They find us when they open in the morning. Are we butchering livestock? We can't hang upside down until morning. We're not bats. We're all going to have a stroke and die. I breathed out through my nose and clenched my jaw. I could feel tears trying to well in the corners of my eyes. We have to get out of here, he repeated. He took several deep breaths, blowing them out slowly, and then I heard the light metallic clink of the safety restraint buckle. He cried out and the entire train buckled as he grabbed onto the handrail. I heard him grunting, shifting his weight as he dangled there, trying to calm his breathing. The track gave off a great groan and was quiet. The merry-go-round calliope was louder now, still barely more than a whisper on the wind. I heard the soft squeak of sweaty palm on slick metal, and I heard the man with the ponytail say, Oh, God. And then the train rocked again as his weight slipped from the handle rail and was lost to the darkness. There came from below the thin gonging of skull smacking against steel track. My breath caught in my throat, followed shortly by the meaty cracking of the man's body landing on the concrete some considerable way down. Oh, God, I began to mutter. I could not control it. Over and over. Oh, God, oh, God. The man in the front car's presence was somehow more potent than it had ever been. I swung my chin into my chest to look up. There was, once more, only one moon, but now it was distinctly crescent-shaped. I moved my head side to side, finding slightly different angles. There was no support like blocking it from any angle I took, and I couldn't deny it more than I could explain it. The moon had gone from full to crescent. I could see the charcoal outline of the full circle dimly. I noticed, as well that the loamy scent of the air had turned foul and sour. And in fact, all of the earlier chill of the place was gone in favor of a stale, damp heat that weighed heavy in the lungs and there was a sharper smell on top of it too, something like rotting meat. I imagined the ponytail man's body lying there on the floor in the dark amidst steel and concrete I heard a noise then, so close it made my hairs stand on end. The shuffling of fabric coming from the seat next to me, I realized that the bear was moving. In the darkness, I imagined the bear's strange, otherworldly swaying, writhing inside with a torrential nodding of worms, worms upon worms, thrumming through and around each other like the tracks packed to the last stitch. But it was only, of course, packing peanuts and gravity. The calliope piped louder now, as if it were right outside the thin metal walls. There was a long final rush of fabric against safety restraint, and the bear fell and landed a bit sooner than I was expecting it to, and when it landed, it landed heavily in a wet explosion. The stench of decay became so strong that I had to choke back vomit. I imagined the ponytail man's body, limbs snapped and bent at nightmarish angles, lying in the dark, and so maybe I also imagined what I heard, but the honest truth is that I do not think that I did. I heard the shuffling of light feet venturing out from the corners of the structure. I heard whispered muttering, then I heard his body dragged across the concrete to the corners where the shapes moved in the shadows. They came for the bear next. My head throbbed. My waist was numb where the safety restraint was cutting me. The moon was gone, or I couldn't find it. The safety restraint moaned, then wailed, and then something important gave and bent, and I was shunted forward, hanging half a foot lower than I'd previously been allowed to. Oh God, oh God, oh God. I felt breathing on the back of my neck, moist and unbearably hot, scalding me. I gripped the handrail, sweat poured off of my forehead. And then, as abrupt as the camera flash had been, a woman's scream shattered the silence, coming from the front car. Loud, too loud for a human throat, a scream of mortal terror, the kind of scream someone only screams once in their life. It carried on and on. It filled the ride, and it filled my soul, overpowered everything else, and seemed, for a moment, to encompass the entirety of the universe. Pierced me, wrenched open my chest, and split me in two from within. Filled me with despair. Finally, it ceased, but the echo lingered and lingered. It was followed by a deep electrical feedback noise, a humming so low I could barely hear it, like there was a massive speaker in the front car. I heard it more with my stomach than my ears. Then that too ceased, and it was silent. A long while later, seemingly at random, the mechanics of the place, whirred to life, and the train lurched into slow but steady motion, We methodically spun down the back half of the loop and then glided easily along the rest of the track till I heard the brakes hiss and saw, for the first time in many hours, a light. The loading bay, seeing through the black rubber flaps which covered the entrance. I saw the man in the front seat's silhouette only for a moment before the nose of the car parted the flaps and he passed through into the light. By the time I emerged, the front car was empty, as was the loading bay. The door to the operator's booth was open now, the booth empty. I stepped out into the night, beneath the stars and the dingy greenish light of the lamp, and spent several minutes just breathing and feeling the air on my face. There was nobody else in the park, as far as I could tell. The rides locked down, and funnel cake booths shuttered, all dark and quiet and still, save for the wind blowing the leaves down the midway and rattling the shutters on their hinges. As I navigated the park I couldn't shake the feeling of that hot breath on the back of my neck, that sense that I was being followed, but I never saw anyone else. I had to jump over the turnstile to leave. My car was the only one in the parking lot. I tried to call my girlfriend on the ride home. It rang and rang and nobody answered. And it didn't go to voicemail, so it rang some more. And just as I was about to hang up, someone answered on the other end. They said nothing, but I knew instinctively that it was not my girlfriend. We each listened to the other's silence for nearly half a minute before they hung up. I had to work in the morning.